1: Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, June 10th, 2018, episode 41. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And Nick, thank you for uh, picking up the slack last week. Uh, Duty called and I wasn't able to attend. It's the least I could do. We made a connection this past weekend with somebody who worked at a hotel we stayed at on a visit to Nick in Houston. It turns out that Cody's brother, last name withheld, is a Steelers fan. I don't know why Cody isn't. Maybe he's a Houston native. I don't know. But we're hoping, Cody said, he would tell his brother about the podcast, and hopefully Cody's brother is joining us tonight for this episode. And Cody's brother, hit us up on Twitter. It's easy. At Steelers Outpost.
2: Good man, Cody's brother. Your brother, also a good guy, too. A little lacking in the loyalty department, but, hey, he saw the Steelers bag I was wearing, and he made the connection. Great to meet him. Great guy. That's Cody, not so his brother. Spe-
1: so, so speaking of bag, we're going to let the cat out of the bag. You may have surmised this because this is an intelligent and good-looking audience. We're going to give our origin story because there is absolutely nothing going on, but we bring the podcast no matter what. That's right. A lot of people depending waiting. on this.
2: There's people depending on this, and we've been waiting to give this little origin story until cool. uh, it, it it seemed appropriate, and we figured – you know, there's going to be some dead time in the summer. So, this would be good to introduce ourselves a little bit more thoroughly. And we'll probably revisit some of this stuff over, you know, the course of the 80 years that this podcast will most likely continue for. But you guys are a little part of history today. We're going to talk about the origins of Steelers Outposts.
1: So, we especially want you, that guy in Croatia who still listens to the podcast. You're the man. We're here for you. Please, please check in and just let us know you're just not a bot. Anyway. So, my name is Tom. <laughs> Hello, Tom. I'm an alcoholic. No, I'm a Steelers. I'm a Steeler holic I've been one for i uh, I, I was born in 1960, and uh, in the bowels of Pittsburgh, in the boroughs of Pittsburgh, I am from West Mifflin, and make no mistake about it, it is West Mifflin South, not West Mifflin North. Okay. My high school is now a grass field, but that's where I grew up, and uh, not caring about football too much. Until the story day in 1972, we, uh, I mean, the Steelers were building. Obviously, everybody on this podcast knows the Steelers franchise is being built. And then the awesome day when Franco Harris uh, caught that immaculate reception and uh, brought us into the playoffs for the first time in Steelers history. So uh, then we enjoyed spoils like no other. And just we, we totally got, speaking of spoils, we got spoiled throughout the 70s. And that was right in my high school year. So I, I enjoyed the, the, the plethora wow. and the plenty of the Steeler dynasty. And um, nice. yeah, it was glorious. So that's my origin story, uh, unfortunately, because I did have one summer working at the mill, but there were no jobs after college. And I had to move to Washington, D.C. to pursue my career. Be that man, as it may. And as everybody on the podcast knows, it waxed and waned. And during one of those waning years, I got married and I had a child. That child is my partner, my co-host, Nicholas, who was born in that 1990. child exactly has become 30s.
2: a man. A rather handsome man at that, I might add. And, and I and was born hum humble. in Washington, D.C., as he said. Technically, the birth certificate says Washington, D.C., but really... I'm from West Mifflin, South. Let it be known, not North. My high school stadium is a grassy field.
1: Religious and remember,
2: like Gettysburg.
1: Actually, Wes, we we had a rebel flag <laughs> hanging in our gym before it became politically incorrect Damn to it. do so.
2: Never mind, that's not yeah. where I'm from.
1: Yeah, politically well, incorrect school- times that we didn't know.
2: Yeah, well, it's a little different now. Your high school uh, years, you got to see the Steelers win four Super Bowls. I had a baby version of that. I was born in 1990, the glorious year of our Lord. Great year for wine. Great year for, well, nobody cares. What the real great years were, were 2005 season. And during my high school time, I was able to see the Steelers win two Super Bowls. So half the success. And then in college, I witnessed the great horror that is – Aaron Rodgers playing your team in the Super Bowl. And really at that point, you can't be that mad because there's nothing any human could do against that. But we were actually talking about this on the vacation last week or this past week, right? Just did a little family visit. Got to make sure we check in. As I said before, I'm down in Houston. I'm a musician, play music, make some frequent trips up to Washington, D.C., and we try to make trips to see each other. But we, I grew up watching – Basically, every single Steelers game, the two of us watch it on the same couch throughout all the years. And then I went to college, and I would call him. Well, During let me this, correct well, that
1: because I didn't know. The first, the first child my wife and I had, Nick's mom and I had, was a boy. All the, all the prayers and the dreams were answered, but the boy just wanted to play Batman. and I tried to get you to sit and watch the Steelers game, but you just had that cape on. And it was annoying, and I, I was trying to explain the game to you, and all you wanted to do was me to put that Robin mask on, and it didn't right, fit. Robin. And I didn't enjoy no. it. But I thought I read all the books. I was supposed to indulge you, and it took a long time. But I will tell the audience the date on which I was certain that you had turned the tide. Now you had long, ah. long since uh, engaged in the Steelers, but I, I'm going to take okay, us back. Yeah, to I G was 15. a big, I
2: know where. I know the story you're going to tell, and you got to tell it. But I will. Let you know, this was probably about four years or or a little bit more into the great Steelers fandom. But, yeah, if if you want to say this is the moment, then go for it. No, no, go for it. I don't want to jump ahead then.
1: Somehow, without my knowing, you became interested in the Steelers because there were a lot of lonely days there on that couch. By the way, I've been a DirecTV customer since 1996 because you could not get a Steeler game in Washington, D.C. that many years over two decades ago.
2: Yeah. They just won the Stanley Cup. I, congratulations, guys. How does it feel to win one out of the last three? Probably pretty puny, right? Anyways, yeah, they didn't want to show Steelers game, so we've had Direct TV forever. Do you want to tell the turning point, or do you want me to work the listeners up to the turning point? Let's work up to this turning point. Be- well, you were right to think about talking about said turning point in 2006, because um, that's kind of from then on. There was no turning back. But we were reminiscing this weekend – and I kind of remembered how did it, how did I become afflicted with this sickness? Where did I, where did I go from a normal person into a, a psychopath as far as uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and their influence in my life happens? And I realized, I always remember my first memory of watching the Steelers was us losing the Super Bowl to the Cowboys, right? Like 95, 96 season, I guess that was. Um, and I enjoyed the process of watching it and feeling like we had someone to root for this or that, but I don't really remember it at all. Thank God. Uh, Neil O'Donnell, thank you for that. But eventually after that, you guys bestowed a miraculous gift upon me, which was a Nintendo 64, my first gaming system. And with that, you got me Brett Favre's NFL Quarterback Club, which was a horrifically bad football game by all standards. If you try it, play it. it's, It's basically unplayable. But... I decided to play with the Steelers in that game, and through that, I started learning the players' names. I learned Cordell Stewart. I learned Jerome Bettis. I learned Heinz Ward, and I learned Lee Flowers, our safety at the time. Those were my guys, and I kind of realized that's what gave me a little bit more of a vested interest in the game, so I started watching, became obsessed with Cordell Stewart. That was my man. Still have his poster in the closet um, back at the Washington, D.C. outpost. And became a very big fan, very huge Cordell guy, watched him work his way up to that um, MVP runner-up season when we lost to the original Patriots team. And by that time, I was completely hooked, right? And then wept profusely through the sorrow of what was Cordell's follow-up season. He, w- he finally seemed like he put it all together in that year. What was it like the 2001 AFC Championship game or something like that. And then he came back the next year. Okay, Cordell's finally made the change. He's not playing receiver and running back anymore. He's a quarterback. He's going to do great. And then he threw like six interceptions in the first two games and really never played again for the Steelers. But that moves us towards the turning point, doesn't it?
1: It does. The turning point, I consider, is January fifteenth, two 2006. Steelers meet the Indianapolis Colts. For the first playoff, first playoff round. And the Steelers are on the divisional playoff round.
2: Divisional, divisional. playoff.
1: Sorry. Thank goodness yeah. you're here. Memory is yeah. shot. 57 years old. 21 to 18. One minute and 20 seconds remaining. And the Steelers are on the five. Hand the ball off to the bus. And the bus goes off right tackle. He is hit by Gary Brackett, who loosens the ball. Nick Harper scoops it up and begins running back, zigzagging. Looked like he was going to go score a touchdown at that point. That is when you left the couch. You, Nick Serena, using last names, exploded, (laughs) left the room. Dead
2: sprint. Listen, Nick Harp. So for anybody who, for some reason, doesn't remember this, which I know is nobody, I'm just going to give you some context, Andre, for this part. Jerome Bettis, one of the greatest Steelers players in history. Never fumbled the football, hardly ever, as a running back. In that particular year, he was no longer the starter. He was just a goal-line situational guy, and he was racking up the touchdowns on the goal line. The most trustworthy player on the Steelers team. He was about to take the ball into the end zone to beat the absolute juggernaut, Peyton Manning Colts, in Indianapolis. It was closer than the five. It was like the one of the two-yard line. He gets the handoff. Gary Brackett hits him, and the ball pops straight in the air. Then Nick Harper from the Colts picks it up, and he takes off. And this was like what happened um, when Ben fumbled it, and I think it was Telvin Smith or someone picked it up in the Jaguars game in the divisional. It's like, oh, it just bounced right to this guy who's already running towards the line of scrimmage, and this guy's about to run for a 99-yard touchdown. We're going to lose this game. And so I sprinted out of the room before seeing what happened next.
1: So as we all know, um, Ben saved the day, and I just have to read this quote from ESPN.com because <laughs> you will be amazed. So they say um, the Steelers had a tight end filled offense on the field, and Roethlisberger was the only player with appreciable speed in their lineup. He wasn't showing Jeez. speed; he just he, he showed a plum, as we as it were, and managed to grab. Uh, Managed to grab uh, Nick Harper's Nick ankle Harper. and stop on the forty-two. In the meantime, and I will put the picture up on the website. Nick had uh, absconded to his bedroom, took the football, and drilled it perfect, perfectly into the back of the closet, which I paid for, and the hole remains there to this day as a as an altar, nay, a tabernacle to his devotion and his insane loyalty to the Pittsburgh Steelers.
2: You, uh, you also. I probably shouldn't remind you of this, but the story wouldn't be complete without also saying I had a mini lacrosse stick, which I also th- hurled in the general direction of my computer, which you also bought. Uh, well, you didn't buy it; it was an old hand-me-down. I'm pretty sure it was Papa's computer. Honestly, that doesn't change the fact that it's it wasn't a good look, and it hit over a red bottle of Gatorade <laughs> on its way to the window. And the Gatorade bottle stained the CPU at that time. And uh, if we still had that CPU, you would still see the red stains of Nick Harper's trip on that thing. So, yeah, there was some there was some anger management that needed to take place at the time. But my passion was too great. And I thought we had just squandered our chance at the Super Bowl. But we had it because as everybody knows Vanderjet misses the field goal to tie the game and the Steelers go and absolutely crap on the Denver Broncos in, Bro- in Denver in the championship game and then they go to beat the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl was we that our the
1: first Super Bowl. was it's that glorious. the first 6 seed to ascend to the Super Bowl yes Royals? it was all right, let's just remember yes, that the Steelers were a
2: wild card team that year. It was a stacked team, but they didn't get the job done totally during the year, and they came back as a wild card. Pretty amazing. Yeah, so that was, I guess, yeah, that was a turning point where you really knew there was nothing coming back. But ever since the Cordell starter days, I was definitely a big fan. And we watched every single solitary game of the uh, every Steelers game from that era. So I- I've seen, we have seen every game that Ben has ever played from his era dad you luckily two years ago missed the philadelphia eagles game where we got ravaged because you were on a plane but other than that we've seen them all um we had a i had a youth league basketball game a playoff game during that peyton manning's colts divisional playoff round and we had that like old transistor radio or like that mini tv that like television from like the i don't know the 80s i mean it's ancient basically we had that on the sideline during the game, and I remember being so nervous for that because this was prime Peyton Manning, Edgerrin James, Marvin Harrison—super Colts team, number one seed, pretty much destined to win the Super Bowl—and we hadn't beat a team, you know, like that that year. And it just seemed all but sure that we were kind of going to lose that game. And I remember getting rushing over to the sideline over and over again, and seeing wow the Steelers are dominating. And I remember vividly watching it in the car on the way home and we get home and drum bed as fumbles. <laughs> Anyways.
1: Good times. Well let's fast forward Good a little bit. So we've because... watched every game since. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. We can dwell on memory memory lane too much, but long story short, guys, I went to college and we, I would call him during the games, and I would keep calling him back, and we would talk about these plays. I would say, okay, okay, I'll call you back. We'll call you back. Until eventually the phone calls just lasted the whole game. We understood, well, we'll just stay on the phone the whole game, and we'll watch the games together. Eventually, moving to Houston, we incorporated Skype into the equation. So we'll Skype while the games are happening, and sometimes we'll have some friends, Andre and Rico, or Laura will be in here watching the games together. So we've kept this up from different parts of the country, thus the Steelers' outpost name. Kind of displaced Steelers fans united together over the love of the black and gold.
1: So uh, just to set up why we're doing a podcast, in um, 2007, I was listening to the OG of Steelers' podcast, the Big Schwa. Lance Williams had an awesome My Steelers Radio, Steelers' podcast, and I had some little device that you would wind up, you'd put radium in, you'd turn it up, and it was called a Pogo. And that's when I started listening to podcasts early on. Actually, I was a big AM radio guy because, of course, I was born in the 60s. But I discovered this guy. So I got hooked on podcasts. You and I were spending all this time. We knew there were other people like us. And the big swat ended this podcast. And there was a gap. There was a gap, a black hole of the universe, as it were. And we felt God told us, you need to fill the gap, boys. He did. That, that required me to sit through 12 hours of lynda.com classes so I could learn GarageBand and the assorted technology that was required for this podcast. We are now on podcast 41. We made a commitment and we're keeping it to our Steelers fans. And uh, we are at number 41 at this point.
2: That's right, guys, and there's going to be at least 10,000 more to go, especially on this road to the Super Bowl Steelers 2018-19 season. It's the big one.
1: So, hey, Anyways. so all of you guys that are, are listening to us, we got a lot of feed- great feedback from Andre and Rico this weekend. Thanks for listening, guys. We, uh, we know Sean's out there listening. We have a lot of fans, and we appreciate the feedback we're getting on uh, Twitter and on our gmail true. account and on our website so a lot of work's going on this we want to hear some feedback online
0: i'm having
2: okay. conversations constantly so you guys are going to want to get in this because my mentions are filling up pretty hardcore there's a lot of people talking to us but we still have the time as a budding podcast to hit you guys back up and have conversations all right actually there was a good this wasn't a conversation we had but there was uh, a nice tweet. Spurred by our friend at Pittsburgh Sports again.
1: Did you, you say Pittsburgh.com that,
2: kind of, that we kind of wanted to hit on? Pittsburgh. All right,
1: that's that's appropriate. Excuse so me. Pittsburgh Sports Pittsburgh. asked a question: Who are your most underappreciated Steelers by position? Who do you got? He threw up his own uh, his list, and Nicholas, you threw up your list, we, which we'll post to the website. We did, but let's go through it a little bit because I think. There's some people I agree with you with. I, actually, I agree with all your choices. There, there are a lot of places to pick, but it, it's interesting some of these guys you pulled out of here. And let's start with wide receiver, most underappreciated Steeler wide receiver.
2: I wanted to give you some disclaimers. So, most underappreciated Steelers by position. These guys to me are either guys who were kind of key cogs in a team who you didn't really talk about a lot, or potentially um, guys who got too much crap. Like there's like got a lot of hate from Steelers fans, but who are who more scapegoats and guys who actually held the team together in nice ways or a guy who outperformed his expectation. For instance, if there's a guy who the Steelers had on their team, he's meant to be a backup or third string guy. And for some reason, he's thrust into starting duty and he does OK. And we say, well, if compared to the league, this guy's not that great of a tight end. Well, I got to respond with, well, yeah, that's what we pegged him as a backup. But he actually ended up being serviceable. So that's a little uh, little hint about one of the guys I'm gonna talk about. But the first one's Nate Washington, just kind of underspoken wide receiver, had a great career, continued in Tennessee, always a number two or three kind of receiver, very reliable, made some big plays at big moments, and I feel like as a name who could fade into Steelers' lore. But he was part of those early Super Bowl runs, and Nate Washington is my guy wide receiver. And I would pick him over a guy who I adore, like Antoine Randall L, because Antoine was a pretty integral part of the team and he was kind of extra famous because he was a college quarterback and he threw a lot of passes for the Steelers. So I don't really feel like he was underrated. I feel like Nate was kind of more of an under the radar type of guy. So Nate Washington is my underappreciated Steeler for wide. Reserves. All
1: right. A good pick. I, I can't really pick somebody out who isn't like uh, Antoine who hasn't gotten his accolades running back. I think, uh, I think this might be a little controversial,
2: It might be. My running back who I picked is Isaac Redman. The Redman. No method man here, just Redman. I loved Isaac Redman. He was one of the main backs during our trip through the desert in between Rashard Mendenhall, who was an underachieving back in his own right, but a first round pick in between him. And then once we finally got the juice man, Le'Veon Bell when our problems were fixed but we the Steelers had one of the worst rushing attacks in the league for a couple of years there and they went eight and eight during two of those years towards the beginning of that they tried to get um Redman in there as the starting back he was the kind of guy who was just a bulldozer who would get in once in a while but I would notice like man this guy never gets stopped ever and if he got more carries you wonder if he could be a good back he had a couple games where he had some hundred yard uh, performances but He could just never put it all together. He had a few little injury things, and then the line was pretty horrific when he was playing. But I thought that he actually had a lot of talent, and he did a good job. He just kind of – the situation didn't really work out for Isaac Redman.
1: But he was a talented player. All right. I wish I could contribute more, but we pulled this together at the last minute. I didn't do any research. So let's move on to the tight end.
2: That's all right. Yeah, I kind of threw this together too as well. It's a tweet, and the tight end I tweeted about is – the outlaw, Jesse James. That's the example I was giving you guys at the beginning. Jesse James is maybe a league average, maybe below, just below average tight end, but the guy wasn't meant to be a starter. He was meant to be a backup kind of long-term project, and then Heath Miller retired. We said, oh, crap, we need to get a starting tight end. And the Steelers told you that they didn't view him as a number one tight end because they went out and they got Ladarius Green who played all of five games and all of those games. He was a great player, had tremendous issues with concussions and he had to retire. And then the Steelers eventually picked up Vance McDonald. Once again, telling you that, hey, Jesse isn't viewed as a number one tight end, but he has served well in that role. He's been okay. He beat the Patriots with a nice touchdown this past year. And, uh yeah, he's a, he's performed above what his expectations should be because he's more of a number two type
1: All right, guy. agreed. I think uh, – I can't believe anybody will disagree with this next choice, but I know they will because I've been reading all the Bleacher Report, the commentary. So quarterback.
0: Yeah.
2: Landry Jones. I mean, who else are you going to say? There's not a lot of options because when, when it comes to quarterbacks, I think – you obviously want to say, like, okay, Cordell was there, but Cordell was a was a big deal. I mean, he was just he was a runner-up MVP type of guy. People had high hopes for him. He was an unconventional player who played multiple positions. But he was the guy for a while. Um maybe you could say Tommy Maddox as well, but uh I don't think. No, I think, Tommy, I Maddox, think that, Tommy, um, Tommy
1: Maddox got his Tommy Maddox had his own stats. He had sorry, his own successes. Sad. But you know what? Landry Jones. It, Half the teams in the NFL don't have a starting quarterback level quarterback, you know, when you look at who the successful yeah. QBs are. and Landry Jones can come in and manage a game. And maybe may yeah, be starting, may be starting on the bottom quarter of teams in the NFL.
2: Yeah, maybe. And he here's my thing with Landry Jones. I think people give Landry Jones a lot of crap because they give Charlie Batch too much credit, as much as we love Charlie Batch, because we're used to Ben missing a couple games every year for all of his career. And usually, Charlie Batch or even a Byron Leftwich would come in and we would still win these games. Well, I think that was mostly because we had very good defenses and we had running games at those times, not so much because of Charlie. I mean, when Charlie came in, it was noticeable that the guy did not have an NFL quality arm by the, you know, the whole second half of his career. I mean, he threw ducks all the time, constantly underthrowing Mike Wallace, who would come back and make catches for him and stuff. So love Charlie, but I think. You know, all the games he won made people think, well, we lost to the Patriots by 10 points when Landry played. He should have beat them. I was like, well, well, Ben's only beat them like twice. So why'd you expect Landry? I agree. I think Landry would be a very bottom of the league starting quarterback. I would never want him as my starter, but I think he does better than people think he does. And playing for this Steelers team, the quarterback has to be really good because this defense doesn't do anything.
1: Okay. So, offensive linemen, you and I agree 100%. Doug. Lugerski, maybe the best Gursky. NFL name since Bronco, his uncle, Bronco Nogurski
2: <laughs> Yeah, Bronco Ligurski. Not Bron- Bronco Nowitzki. This guy's lesser known, but more vicious than the more famous Bronco. Yeah, Doug Ligurski. The Steelers have been lucky with different guys like this over the years who they've had as chess piece backup linemen. Um, They were lucky with Vince Williams earlier in his career with this kind of like guys who filled in for stars who were frequently injured. I think Doug filled in for Marquise Pouncey a lot when he was injured, and he also filled in for whoever else got injured on the line. He plugged him in, and he wasn't a great player, but he was a decent player, and he kept the machine going, and we were lucky we had him because if you didn't have a player like him, you could have fallen apart completely. I was making that Vince Williams reference because Shazier was kind of constantly injured earlier in his career. And Vince came in and it wasn't, you know, he's a six-round draft pick. You don't expect a lot of him, but he played pretty well. So, yeah, Ligurski, love him.
1: So let's move on to outside linebacker. This I'm, I'm, I need to press you on a little bit. Jason Worlds. You don't think he was appreciated? Jason Worlds.
2: Yeah, I just think that I haven't even heard the guy's name in forever. We constantly talk about the Steelers' great tradition of outside linebacker, pass rushers. Joey Porter, Kevin Green, Clark Higgins, Lamar Woodley, Jason Gildon, James Harrison, all these different guys, and now we're trying to get T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree uh, rolling. You obviously had the failure of Jarvis Jones. But before that, we actually had a guy who was – emerging into a potential Pro Bowl outside linebacker, a guy who actually placed the the rare transition tag, not quite the franchise tag, but we made sure when his contract is up that nobody took him, and he was developing into a very good player, Jason Worlds, and that outside linebacker position may have been stabilized if he didn't decide to randomly retire out of nowhere to become a priest. Jason Worlds, good player. We would have had a stabilized –
1: Outside right. linebacker, position. I just went back through um, pro football focus through multiple years, and you're right, there's nobody who really stands out other than Jason World's good call. And you can't blame Jace for uh, becoming a priest. Inside linebacker Larry Foote. Larry Foote. Who doesn't love Larry Foote? Do you think he didn't get his due?
2: Yeah, I think he was playing next to James Ferrier, and you didn't realize what a solid player he was. He went away to the Lions for one year. The Steelers snatched him back up right after as soon as they could, and he came running back to the Steelers. Super solid player. Ferrier got a lot of the fanfare, but Larry Foote was a beast on those legendary Steelers defenses.
1: Okay. No argument. Um, let's move on to cornerback. <laughs> <laughs> De-
2: Yay! Ladies and gentlemen, Deshae Townsend, one oh. of the slowest corners I've ever seen. But again, you kind of don't know what you got until it's gone. Because after Deshae, you start moving into Antoine Blake and Cortez Allen and Artie Burns and all Ross Cockrell and all these crappy cornerbacks that we've had to suffer ever since having the nice, uh, slightly above average stabilizing presence of Deshae Townsend. Not as famous to Pittsburghers as Ike Taylor or big play Willie Gay, but he was a solid guy. And what I'd give for a solid cornerback these days.
1: Uh, I, <laughs> he gives so much heartburn. But then again, so does everybody in the defensive backfield since um, 1981. So safety.
2: Yeah, he had that pick to beat Tony Romo that one time. True that. So
1: at safety, you have Mike Mitchell. A more, re- recent, uh, more recent player. Interesting.
2: Yeah. This is my favorite one. This is the one where I'm like, wow, this guy got a lot of crap for being the best player on the Steelers defense for two years in a row. Listen, the injuries slowed this guy down a lot. And that, you know, you don't get an asterisk for that. It's like, well, yeah, he became a less effective player. But this guy was the most consistent player on the Steelers defense for about yeah. two years there. And he just gets ripped. People think that getting him out and getting Morgan Burnett is going to solve every problem this year. You know, but they're okay with Artie Burns still playing. Now I'm being a little facetious when I'm saying that because obviously Artie Burns is still getting older, he's still improving and stuff like that. But Mike Mitchell was very underappreciated. I was almost gonna say Ryan Clark, um, because I thought that he was an incredibly excellent compliment to Troy Palomalu. Ryan Clark was Troy Palomalo's fellow safety for pretty much his whole career. But I think that you know he ended up making the Pro Bowl and he had some a couple years at the end when he was kind of front and center for that Steelers defense. So I went with. All my right.
1: Pitch. So for defensive line, Kimo Van Olphen. What's your justification?
2: Yep, because he won nah. us the Super Bowl by tearing Carson Palmer's <laughs> ACL in that wild card game because they were going to crush us. Carson Palmer for the Bengals was having an MVP year. He threw one pass in that game. The first play of the game, an 80-yard touchdown pass to TJ Dushmanzada. and uh, Kimo actually felt very bad. He fell on um, Carson Palmer's leg, which actually, yeah, I mean, that sucks. But Kimo again, he's just kind of the, he's like the Larry Foot equivalent. What an insane defense he played on. Aaron Smith. And a big snack, Casey Hampton got more of the credit, but Kimo was a super solid lineman and even did okay with the Jets after he left.
1: I wish I had something to add. So on special teams, (laughs) actually, everybody on special teams can make this list, but Greg Warren.
2: Greg Warren, I don't think that you realize how important a 10-year-long snapper is. I mean, man, it was sad to see him go, but... Not a lot of bad snaps in the for the Steelers in those times. I don't even remember a single one. The fact was that a he
0: game. he
2: Great got long snapper, Steelers legend. He was on this team as long as Ben for for a while. There it was just I think he had thirteen percent
1: you know? of Better the tackles ahead. on punts on the special teams. This is a guy who's he's he's five foot four. He was one hundred and nineteen pounds. Long snapper, and he got thirteen percent of right. the tackles on punts. Hard to argue with. Can't hit on that. I hope you enjoyed the origin story. We will bring that back as a best stop during next year's doldrums. But, uh, hey, look, Nick put his his list out there. You have your own list. We'd love to hear from you. We are uh, we're looking for feedback, as I say, every single week. Let me get to my, my list. So hit us up on Twitter, at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on our website at SteelersOutpost.com or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. So until next week, and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Go Steelers.
2: Okay, bye-bye.
0: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match.